Hey everybody, you're listening to Beyond 1894. This is the official podcast of Louisiana Tech University. I'm Gavin Kelly from the Office of University Communications, and our guest for this episode is Carrie King. She is the Director of Institutional Effectiveness and Document Management. Carrie, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Gavin. So, uh, as with all of our guests, we're going to kind of talk about how you ended up in the role you're in now, you know, how long you've been at tech, how you got here, why you're still here. So, take us back and talk about sort of your journey to the role that you're in. I like that you say take us back because I'm kind of thinking this is my 20th year Mm. here in Ruston, Louisiana. So, I've kind of had an opportunity to reflect a little bit about my journey and what brought me here and Mm -hmm. what kept me here. Yeah. Um, so so I'm, I'm thankful for that opportunity. So 20 years ago, I was 18, mm-hmm. kind of new to small town Ruston, um, but we've really grown since the last 20 years. So I'm really yeah. excited about Where that. Where are you from? I'm originally from Chalmette, Louisiana, which okay. is about five, 10 minutes south of the New Orleans area. I lived a lot in Slidell and Metairie. Um, so honestly, traffic is, yeah. is what New Orleans reminds me of, just always staying busy. Um, so I actually left in 2003 to study professional aviation here at Louisiana Tech. And not very many people know that about me. Um, Was Tech always going to be where you like planned from high school graduation? Were there other colleges that kind of were on your radar? Planned, yes. But there were a few other colleges that were on my, my radar. Um, I listened to Monty's Mm-hmm. A podcast oh, yeah. um, from Embry-Riddle, and, and that was actually one of the institutions, but extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. There, There's no way that family could have ever afforded an institution like that. And um, I'm actually blessed because things change and, and life happens. Um, but thinking back of Florida and aviation, um, something that a lot of people don't know much about me is that I actually could fly legally before I could drive a vehicle. Wow. Yes. So um, Eglin Air Force Base, I'll never forget. Um, I was flying in a Cherokee Piper and I had the instructor at the time, I was really young, mm-hmm. blonde hair, young female, uh, the youngest female pilot ever to fly at Eglin Air Force Base, okay. too. Yeah, so it was pretty neat. Um, so as I was getting ready to approach on the uh, landing on the runway, uh, two fighter jet pilots came over the radio and they had said, if you don't move our way, we're going to run you over. I was nervous and uh-huh. scared. And so the instructor at the time, he said, I promise you, they're not going to run you over. And they didn't. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm, I'm here today. Um, but this was before 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, the security, I'm sure, has changed. And I don't know how that works now. Um, but I'll never forget just hearing a thrust from the engines. And I was hooked. Yeah. So professional aviation really hooked me. Um, I was an ROTC girl in high school. So that's kind of how I got involved with uh, professional aviation. And I did that for two years here at Louisiana Tech. And then there was this hurricane called Hurricane Katrina. Of course. A lot of people remember Hurricane Katrina, but um, some of our freshman students may not remember Hurricane Katrina, but it definitely affected a lot of their family's lives. Um, But family couldn't afford to send me to school anymore. uh, So I had to get what I call a big girl job. Mm -hmm. And so I worked in the healthcare field for some time, did some marketing um, and realized the value of a degree. So I really needed to complete my degree. I needed a bachelor's degree and uh, came back to tech years later, Right. finished my bachelor's degree. And then I figured, okay, well, I want to work in higher education. So I came to work here at Louisiana Tech. I did that in 2014 and thought to myself, okay, 
I need a master's degree. Mm-hmm. So then I went ahead and, and um, got a master's of public administration. And uh, in 2019, I had completed that master's degree. And um, along the way, I took lots of graduate courses in technical writing. And uh, it's really kind of interesting to think back on all of those mishaps, perhaps. Sure. Kind of led me to where I am today because a lot of what I do is reading. Mm-hmm writing and project management. Um, and so I know that we'll talk about the QEP in just a minute, and I'll be able to explain to our viewers really what the QEP is. But that's a little bit of my journey. Um, and I really was able to kind of reflect thinking back in 2005. Um, my husband now, he's my fiance then, I'll never forget, I called him and I said, Lane, and he works here at Tech too as well. I said, Lane, um, my family needs somewhere to stay. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, absolutely, let him come on up. Goodness. So we had 16 people, eight cats, three dogs in a two-bedroom, one-bath house. We had an RV hooked up to the house and in a travel trailer also. So you couldn't run a blow dryer and and heat the microwave at the same time. Like, it just was not happening. But I'll I'll never forget that. And um, just to think back, to be able to to reflect on that and how we helped the family and and how everything kind of came together and shaped who I am today. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Amazing. not to sort of like create a longing within you if it's not yeah. there already, but do you, how often, like, do you, I'm sure you miss flying. I do. Um, well, so it wasn't just Hurricane Katrina, I guess you could say, because I'll, um, Rick Osmond, I'll never forget. He was a professor here at, at Tech and Aviation. He was my advisor at the time. I had told him, well, um, kind of had a mishap today. And I want to change. I, I want to change to prof- um, aviation management from professional aviation. Um, I know Monty and some others may know this, and I don't. I haven't been to the airport, goodness, in probably eighteen years. Um, but back then, there was only one runway. Um, so if you had um, heavy winds that day, you had to know how to what we call crab into the wind. Okay. So I came into the runway completely in the opposite direction. So you know, instead of coming straight onto the uh-huh. runway. Well, I blacked out. And um, so I did everything right Mm -hmm. all the way coming down the runway about to land. And for whatever reason, the stress got to me and I blacked out and I bounced all on that runway. And uh, the instructor, who was just a few years older than me, uh, he told me, you know, well, maybe aviation might not be for you. And so we we had visited. um, And I'll never forget... um, Rick Osment was telling me, he said, no, don't let that stop you. You know, professional aviation, it, it, that happens. Yeah. And, and you, but you learn from it and, and you'll grow. And I was like, nah, I still like aviation management. And uh, so I took a, a lot of those management courses. And that might be how come I like to manage projects now. I'll, I'll never know. Um, but I absolutely loved um, aviation weather. Mm. Um, I loved the fixed-based operation courses. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved anything as far as uh, leading out a project that you had to have multiple steps with. Right. I, don't, I don't know if that's – but no, yeah. So it wasn't just Hurricane Katrina. Right. You know, sometimes it's several things kind of lead into that recipe. And, and so that was my recipe for for kind of getting out of professional right. And everything happens for a reason, right? You know? I absolutely believe that. So um, one thing I like about – Many, if not most of the guests on this podcast is they have um, an experience at Tech as a student and then as a faculty or staff member. You know, it's sort of a continuous time here. Mm -hmm. I can say that for myself, too. I was a student here. I work here now. So talk about, you know, 
why tech has been special to you and sort of the perspective you had as a student versus now as a member of the tech family on staff, you know, and sort of why that's been a part of you this whole time. Right. Um, gosh, and I've had that opportunity to really reflect through all of those different years. And uh, when I was 18, I had called my mom on a Friday night and I in around seven o'clock at night. And she said, oh, goodness, did Rustin roll the sidewalks up? Like now mom must be popular for you to talk yeah. to on a Friday <laughs> night. And it was so ironic, though, because I was honestly driving down Highway 167 and the lights were flashing. And I said... That's right, Mom. I said, but that's what I love. I, I love not having to spend all of my time in traffic. And, like, there's more to life than just, you know, waiting for the bumper in front of you mm-hmm. to move more than two or three feet. Yeah. And um, so I, I really enjoyed that that slower pace. But I missed having, like, a TJ Maxx. And I missed having the Target and, and all of those great things. And just to be able to see Rustin where it is now to then and still not have that traffic yeah. is like a blessing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, just thinking back also my student years, all of the really great experiences that I had, the, the friends that I had made. Um, I don't have any long lasting friendships from my uh, college days so much. Um, but like I had said, my husband works here as well. And he was uh, he was born and raised here in Ruston. And um, so I've really kind of made that connection you know, with him and, and mm-hmm. the friendship circles. And I've really gotten involved over the years. Um, I've, goodness, what all have I done? Um, I've also volunteered for Junior Auxiliary of Ruston, um, which is a nonprofit organization. I've coached my daughter's soccer team. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, goodness, I feel like all of my free time is watching her play softball and, and keep up with her. Um, but no, yeah, just to really think back through those early years to where I am now and just excited that Rustin, I think, is definitely in the right direction. And I I love that it has that small town feel, but that growth of that larger population, especially with the Bucky's coming to Ruston. So I don't know how, hopefully the traffic won't be insane, but but I'm sure we'll have a pickup in traffic. But I don't think it'll be anything like that New Orleans Metairie bumper to bumper traffic. Uh, When I was 18, I actually worked for Muscular Dystrophy Association that summer. And um, I can't remember what I was making, but it was good money for Mm -hmm. for an 18-year-old back then. Uh, But I'll never forget about an hour and a half traffic every day to and from work. And so you had no time for for free personal life so even if you did have the time and you had all of these large metropolitan activities you spent most of the time in traffic Mm -hmm. so now i I enjoy that about rustin and getting that opportunity to stay here and and really see that i have time and Mm -hmm. i have a life now so yeah it sounds like you and i are similar in the sense that rustin is the happy medium for Mm -hmm. us because i i would argue that my experience before Russin was the opposite of yours. I come from a really small town called Sykes, Louisiana, and there's like a hundred people and it's a village. It's classified as a village, 30 minutes away from a Walmart or anything, you know, mm-hmm. it, a grocery trip was a weekly thing and it was a big event. And, you know, so a town where everything's really slow and there's nothing, there's houses mm-hmm. on dirt roads and there's nothing. And so, um, Russin to me was the big city, quote unquote. And, you know, I know mm-hmm. better, but like it had, you know, I'm five minutes away from stuff that I want and need. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, you know, I go and spend a weekend in Dallas or Houston or wherever, even New Orleans. And, you know, it's like, 
there's this traffic that I, I didn't grow up with and I don't live with now. And so, um, Ruston kind of was the nice middle ground and has been for a while to, mm-hmm. to me. So, um, similar experience in that way. I think that's interesting. Um, so you're here now, you're in the role you're in now. Let's talk about that. So, and I know that there have sort of been some newer responsibilities over the last couple of years that have been a part of your role. Talk about what you do um, and how it kind of like services the university and sort of the larger picture. Absolutely. Um, so for um, for what I do on a, on a day-to-day basis, um, being the Director of Institutional Effectiveness and Document Management, um, I track the continuous improvement on our university. So um, maybe some of the viewers might be aware of what we call IE audits, um, but they're institutional effectiveness. Essentially what it is, is uh, a program or department provides us with their SMART goals for the year. Mm-hmm. And then they report on that and they, they continuously look for ways to improve what they were doing the year before. Um, so like I know University Communications, they'll submit an IE audit right. and and it's for all the things that you all have done throughout the year and then look for ways to improve uh, improve on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of my day-to-day and, and just the document uh, management on that side of things. So for each and every single degree program that we have, um, um, they will submit those plans, and we review those, and we report on those, too, as well. And this is important. Why? This is important because this is what gives value to a degree mm-hmm. from a student that graduates here at Louisiana Tech. So essentially what that means, um, we have our accrediting body, which is SACCOC, which is the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools Commission on Colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's essentially our accrediting body in the Southern region, uh, the Department of Education and order to receive federal funding, um, we have to have an accrediting body. And so ours is SACCOC. And essentially what SACCOC does is they make sure that we are ensuring quality education and continuously improving. Yes. And that's part of their mission statement as well. Uh, so since we are part of that as an accrediting body, uh, we also have to have certain standards that we, you know, that we strive for and, um, if anyone wants to look at that, you can go out to SACCSC.org. Um, but there are several different principles and, and standards that we have to um, that we have to adhere to, and it really sets us above any of the other institutions. And, and honestly, I've heard that SACCSC is the most challenging hmm. accrediting body, so it really sets us to higher standards. Uh, so one of the standards that I'm also um, managing is the what we call the QEP, which mm-hmm. is the Quality Enhancement Plan. And uh, some people may not know what the QEP is, but then when you say things like the BARC, People mm-hmm. know what that is. Yep. Or if you say FYE, COM 101, the blue fire, you know what that is. Mm-hmm. So those were our last QEPs, our quality enhancement plans. And uh, since we are the class of 2025 uh, for SAC COC, for our uh, decennial reaffirmation, we have to submit another quality enhancement plan. Uh, So within the last year, we've really sent out a lot of surveys. We've had broad-based input groups where we've had dialogue teams. We've had um, design team members. We've had such a different variety of of different opportunities from even our alumni. Yeah. You know, because the scope is big at first, right? And you have to narrow it down. Absolutely. It is beyond um, looking back at all of it. My goodness, all of the different surveys that we've sent out and the survey results. And we've had student focus groups and faculty staff focus groups. Mm -hmm. We've presented to University Senate, the Council of Academic Deans, the Administrative Planning Council, and just getting to hear 
all these phenomenal, great ideas, um, and they, they really stem, honestly, from challenges. Um, but just like any those that know about a SWOT analysis, it's it's really neat that you can take a weakness or a threat, right, and turn it into a strength or right. opportunity. That's the enhancement. That's, that, a, that's the whole point, right? That's yeah. the whole point, yes. And so um, so with this QEP, uh, we really had identified that um, retention was a significant factor for many that had completed that uh, in the QEP has to be more than just a plan to improve. It has to focus on student success outcomes and or student learning outcomes. So while all of these great ideas are phenomenal, they have to be able to improve student learning outcomes or student success outcomes. Okay. So when I tell you it could be anything, it, yeah. it could be. Uh, but they don't want us to focus so much on the procedures and the process of making that better. They want us to focus on the student. How can we make the student better? And either that would be through skills or enhancing, getting them ready for, for their career workforce or, or their learning experiences here while they're a student. And uh, with all of the different broad-based input, we really had kind of identified advising as kind of that top priority. And uh, that's really what we've been focusing on for the last few months since we've narrowed down the topic. And uh, we've given the campus community the opportunity to participate in those survey results to see, okay, you said this was important. From all of this, yeah. what is really important? And with advising kind of being that, that top focus for our campus community, we've really had to kind of sit back. And, and as a design team, which is representatives from all of the different colleges and uh, also some staff members, too, as well, we've really had to look at all this broad based input and come up with a plan of, OK, now, how can we make things better for the student as far as their learning? Right. You know, and how can we, through enhancing advising, improve student success? And so that's really kind of where we've been within these last few weeks. I, I can tell you a little hint. Mm -hmm. uh, we are really looking to improve the training and the professional development for our advisors uh, and give them more support. So what that looks like, I don't know just yet. Like right. I said, so what we're going to do is we're hoping to pilot some of this training within the fall, the winter, and the spring, because uh, I have really exciting news uh, for those that are listening. Uh, we have March 31st through April, I want to say the 3rd, it's that first week of April of 2025, that is when we're going to have our on-site uh, committee mm -hmm. here. So we have some time, you yeah. know, it's it's... I say that we have time, but in it order, up on you fast, it does yeah. creep up on you fast. Um, so our last QEP, the Blue Fire Mentor, I mean, the, the Blue Fire Program, sorry. Um, goodness, it was around 100 page document. Okay, wow. Yes. Uh, so it's pretty significant. Uh, and you pilot many different things. The thing that I've learned throughout this entire process is it does not need to be perfect mm. because you also have uh, a five-year impact report. So five years into it, and then you talk about what worked, what did not work, what right. you would have done differently. Yeah, because on paper, it's one thing. It's yes. going to become its own thing once it's brought to life, right? Absolutely. So. And I've actually really been really blessed with Dr. Joanne Dozot. She, she's a retired professor emeritus, and uh, I've actually really had her kind of in that little back pocket to, to kind of talk through their last process and how that went. And uh, so, no, I, I understand it doesn't need to be perfect. Strive for perfection. Of course. But, but know that a plan 
changes and, yeah. and things happen. Uh, so now I am not the QEP director. Uh, so hopefully within this next year, we're going to be able to identify someone who would be a director. I'm kind of leading the project to make sure that uh, just like Dr. Dozot and Dr. Jim King back then, you know, just make sure that we're identifying in those sorts of things. So uh, that's going to be this next step. So if any viewers are listening and, mm-hmm. and this is something you're kind of interested in and, and advising uh, sounds like something you're excited about, you know, reach out to me. And if you have great ideas, my email address is kmking at latech.edu. And I'd be more than happy to talk to you a little bit more about our process. Well, good deal. You know, you, you judge these project timelines in months and years, but it's it's always ongoing and there's always like you accomplish one thing and it's right on to the next one. Um, and that's the thing about quality enhancement, institutional effectiveness. It sort of proves that what we're doing here is meaningful and effective. I mean, yes. the, the words in the title, um, but also, like you said, it getting stagnant is not an option. Yeah. We have to continually improve and get better. So, um, I appreciate that the work you're, that you're doing there. Um, I appreciate you. you coming on the podcast to talk about it. Um, and Carrie, good luck. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Takes all of us. I appreciate it, Gavin. Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, you can check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.